people think of the swing or think of the throw as like, you know, uh, each piece dragging the next through or pulling and releasing. In every other activity that we do, whether we're kicking a soccer ball or, you know, hitting a slap shot, I mean, it's a strike. Instead of me thinking about just dragging and generating all of this force, I actually started thinking about striking the object. My goal changed. Instead of generating force being the goal, my goal was to strike the object. When you think about traditional thoughts and cues that uh, you know pitching coaches have used or hitting coaches, they talk about like extension or getting out front. And although those may be the feelings that they have, what's giving Max that feeling is not trying to achieve that feeling, it's trying to stop. Fellas, 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 welcome back to the Farm System Podcast, your home for baseball development. We're here for you, by you, and with you. I'm your co-host, Joey Cunha. And I'm Bo Callis. This podcast is designed for coaches, players, scouts, really anyone looking to further their development in the game of baseball. Here at the Farm System, we take pride in being lifelong learners, and we are here to be a bridge from where you are to where you're going. We'd like to welcome back our veteran listeners. We're happy to grow with you again. We'd also like to welcome our first-time listeners, the rookies. Don't worry, every vet was once a rookie. This podcast is brought to you by our partners over at Yakertech. Yakertech is the gold standard for measuring spin rate, velocity, trajectory, and most important, spin axis of a pitch ball. No other system captures such clarity of a moving ball. Learn more about their system at yakertech.com. On this episode... Eugene and I sit down and talk through some different ideas when it comes to ball striking, how important it is, and how we teach it. Pull up a seat, grab your notepad. Here's Joe and Eugene. Joey Cunha from One Away Performance here. Uh, Bleak came in this morning all riled up, uh, had some different ideas on his head. We started bouncing some things back and forth. We thought it would be good to share and uh, sit down and record it. So we're going to kind of share some ideas and just talk through what we had uh, going on and uh, go from there. What's up, guys? Um, so last night I was thinking about it and, you know, perception changes how we move and the things that we achieve. When we think about like performance training in general, you know, a lot of times it's focused on, you know, pulling weight or the thought to pull weight or uh, releasing weight and the thought to release weight. Like when we're doing med ball stuff or I mean, really anything. And, you know, that transfers over what we do in the weight room transfers over to, you know, the, the skill side, the you know hitting and throwing side. And I think a lot of people think of the swing or think of the throw as like, you know, uh, each piece dragging the next through or pulling and releasing. Right. But in every other activity that we do, whether we're kicking a soccer ball or, you know, hitting a slap shot, I mean, it's a strike, right? It's not uh, a pull and a release, it's a strike. We're striking the object. And that's going to change the mechanisms that the body uses to achieve the task. And the thought to strike something is going to create more uh, stability and directional force. You know, when we think about pitching and uh, after Joey and I started kind of rattling some stuff off, when I after I said this, um, I went in the pitching room, and uh, one of our uh, guys trying to get into pro ball right now went to uh, he's a UCLA guy and uh, just been training for the last couple of months and trying to sign a free agent contract. And then one of our uh, college gap year guys were in there, 
and I explain the thought process to them. And you know, uh, Max, the uh, the pro guy, uh, started talking about his feeling. He goes, you know, that's really interesting that you're saying that because you know, on all of my best throws, it's really weird. It's like hard to explain. Like I feel that stability down low that you're talking about, but it almost feels like I'm like out front more. Like I'm like I'm. Uh, uh, you know, my hand, all, everything is directional. Everything is going forward. And, you know, that started to make me think, you know, when you think about traditional thoughts and cues that, uh, you know, pitching coaches have used or hitting coaches, they talk about like extension or getting out front. And although those may be the feelings that they have, right, uh, what's giving Max that feeling is not trying to achieve that feeling. It's trying to stop. That's just the result of it. You know, the brain and the body, the perception of movement is very interesting. And when you think about old school cueing, uh, it's not that any of it is wrong. It's just they're describing the feelings that they have in certain areas. But, you know, when you try to achieve those tasks, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the mechanism that the body is going to use. If we're trying to finish our pitch or finish all the way through or follow through, Generally, we're turning our decelerators off and we're pulling the arm with the, with the pec instead of letting them turn on and really delivering that force, delivering that strike uh, to the target. Um, so, you know, when we're thinking about cueing athletes, it's really important that they perceive the movement and understand the goal of the movement, I think, uh, you know, more than anything. And after I mentioned it to Joey, um, you know, when we were sitting here chatting about it, he started rattling off about uh, his last couple days uh, doing Muay Thai stuff. Uh, Joey, why don't you share some of that? Yeah, so, um, I, you know, one of the things I was thinking about, and I think that was very important, was in the very beginning as more of a, like, a novice learner in a different sport, um, when I'm thinking about generating force, um, you know, it's not, I'm not particularly thinking about striking the object, but just generating force. My mind was... Um, more in the space of, you know, I need to hit this thing hard and I'm just going to generate as much force as I can. Now, when I started doing that, obviously that started causing a whole bunch of issues, uh, compensatory patterns, maybe in the very beginning, maybe a, a good, you know, starting process maybe. Um, but as that started to continue and I kept going down that path, um, my kicks started becoming less and less accurate. Uh, I didn't land them with the same spacing, the same direction. Um, it was harder for me to uh, remain balanced and get ready for a different strike. Um, what were you saying that you're the, the guy that teaches you Muay Thai at that place? What were you saying? That you were mentioning some drills he was doing with you. Yeah, so when we were, uh, so one of the first things as a, as a uh, drill that we were doing is what they do when they teach uh, Muay Thai kicks that kind of help guys is you actually go to the kick, you actually put your shin on the side of their, uh, the, your opponent's body and you try to push away from them. So it's literally the opposite direction than you're trying to kick. It, it, it causes, again, obviously, um, it's just like when guys are doing like recoils or trying to think about going the opposite direction um, and also teaches like that counter rotation um, going the opposite way. And one of the cues that he always gave me uh, was finish strong. That was, he always explained it by finishing strong. Um, so then when we, when Bleak and I the other day were just in the office and we were, you know, uh, again, talking probably about deceleration, I forgot even what the, the con, you know, conversation was about, but we were bouncing back and forth about uh, striking things. And, um, you know, I, I remember when we were, when he was talking, I was thinking in my head about um, when I'm kicking that I was just trying to uh, kick the pad. Again, I'm trying to drag my leg into the pad rather than thinking about sticking the pad. 
Um, so my next day um, when I went to uh, Muay Thai the last couple days, um, I started going there and when I was kicking, I started thinking about sticking it. Um, and so when I started kicking and sticking, um, kicking and sticking. Um, when I started kicking and sticking, uh, my, even my instructor started, it noticed the difference, um, in my kicks and how clean they were. Um, you know, again, how balanced I was after the kick, how much force I was generating into the pad. Um, and then he asked me, he was like, you know, he's like, those look good. And I was like, yeah, like I changed my thought. Um, and he was like, oh, well, like, what are you thinking about? And I was like, well, you know, in hitting, we think about sticking the ball. Um, you know, and I explained to him and connected for him, you know, like when you, we do those drills and you talk to us about like uh, pushing away from our opponent with our kicks, um, it's like the same feel. It's like a stick. And he instantly uh, connected those two together from what he feels when he lands kicks. And, you know, even he said that he was going to start using it because of, you know, the results that he could see that it uh, would provide. And he really liked the cue. So I think, um, you know, with that, uh, the same thought, instead of, instead of me thinking about just dragging and generating all of this force, I actually started thinking about striking the object, and that was my goal changed. Instead of generating force being the goal, my goal was to strike the object. Um, and those are two different thought processes, and I think my body was responding to what I was telling it to do. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, it brings another thought, too. Like, you know, yesterday we were uh, sitting here. We had our buddy uh, Jim Beadle from KVEST here, and we were sitting here looking at some uh, some pro data on what they're getting on the KVEST, and we were trying, you know, all different movements. And, uh, you know, Joey uh, decided to – we wanted to see some differentials in the KVEST data between swings. And Joey decided to take one of his old swings – and when he was taking his old swings, his bat speed was up around 75, his rotational uh, velocity was higher, uh, but his exit velocities uh, were lower and his ball striking was worse. And when he went to um, you know, the newer swing that he's been working on uh, for the last, you know, I don't know what, eight months since, yeah. he's, since he's been here, uh, he, the bat speeds went down. He was around 65, 66, 67 and the ball striking got better, uh, the exit velocity got better, he was up to 87 and consistent and, consistent, and yeah. the movements were effortless and you saw the differential. I think even though his rotational velocity was higher with the old swing, uh, his, uh, the, the, the delivery of force was worse because he couldn't get across his body. When you look at his, uh, you know, the degree that his pelvis was rotating in the old swings, he was around like 90, 95 degrees. Mm. Uh, so rotating his hips all the way to square, or even past square. And when you look at the new ones, he was stopping around 70 degrees. And when you look at the pro swings, they were all stopping anywhere between 60 and uh, I think it was 80 was the was the highest one that we that we saw. Uh, but when you think about the individuals that were doing it, you know, one guy is looser, one guy is a little bit stiffer. But, uh, you know, the most interesting part about looking at that data, uh, which just, you know, explains what we're talking about with the stopping even a little further, uh, you know, when we get into impact, and we're going to strike, some, strike something, we need uh, stability, right? We need balance. We need stability in our lower half. And when you look at those guys, you know, it's not just that their acceleration is happening, uh, you know, at peak. Uh, but when you start looking at the D cell patterns, right, that, that's where the real magic is. That's where the gold is. Uh, when guys are, when those guys are getting to the point where they're making contact with the ball, if you look at the D cell patterns, they're lining up to a point where they are all bottomed out at the same exact time. And when they're all bottomed out is that contact. So when you're reaching peak 
at contact with the hands, right, with the upper extremity, all the, the, the trunk, the pelvis, the lower, everything else is bottomed out. I mean, that goes to show that we're creating, like at contact, they're creating that stability from the bottom half and that stability into the strike. They're striking the ball, right? Um, which, you know, is everything that we're, uh, you know, we're kind of talking about. Yeah, no, and I think um, obviously, you know, with that, the, the things to, that we constantly want to keep in mind um, is that just the understanding of not only, I, I think when we think about that, the kinematic sequence everybody's always on is everybody wants to know how to generate all of the speed. Like we talked about with my older swing, um, yes, I was getting much higher velocities with my pelvis, but also too, um, it, it'd be very uh, interesting in a lot of these cases to look how fast, uh, how fast I'm actually accelerating up to those speeds. It's taking a lot longer. Um, again, obviously my hips are getting all the way open to 90, 95 degrees uh, to generate that force. Um, and while that is capturing and the, and the software is capturing uh, my peak speed, um, the time that it takes to get up to that, to that speed um, and it being actually not even generated into the ball, I'm not connecting obviously with the exit velocity, it's not going into the ball. Right. So and your time to contact, even though you're, even yeah. though your sequencing was one, two, three, four, your time to contact was you yeah. know, worse, even yeah. though your bat speed was higher. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a big thing. Um, and even, you know, with that, we, the great thing that you can use uh, KVS for that uh, blast just doesn't have the capability of right now is that uh, KVS can also measure uh, the speed of the bat actually after contact, which is very important um, that we brought up and we talked about at uh, bridge last year is that there's a lot of hitters that their peak bat speed is actually after contact because of their sequencing. So um, again, at the end of the day, we want when the bat's moving, it's, it's uh, quickest, we want that to be into contact, right? No matter what the speed is, we want it to be into contact. But with that being said, if I'm reaching my peak speed after contact, that has a lot to do with my sequencing, not just the acceleration sequence, but more importantly, the deceleration sequence, uh, which is what we're talking about when we're trying to transmit this force that we've, uh, we've generated. So. And what's interesting too, like when, when Joey hit that 87 yesterday, uh, when you looked at his sequencing numbers, he was, uh, you know, one, three, two, four, instead of one, two, three, four. Uh, but when we talk with Jim about that, two of the best hitters in major league baseball that he has on there, and I'm not going to say the names, uh, but two of the best hitters that he has on that, on those, uh, charts are always one, three, two, four. And that goes to show us that, you know, our job is not to uh, look to these uh, sources of uh, data capture and, and movement capture and, and just try to achieve certain numbers and certain sequences. Our job is to have a better understanding of what the data is telling us, uh, not to be slaves to the things that we're hearing. And on that particular 87 mile an hour uh, exit velo, uh, where his hips stopped the earliest and everything else was, you know, the D-cell patterns were money. I think I tried uh, to kick on that one. Too. It was also, you did, yeah. and it was also the shortest swing, right? His time to contact was the lowest and his barrel was very direct. It was the shortest. Mm. And when we think about the generation of force, like if you think about a good hitter, right? Um, a good hitter, as we all know, is going to be short to the ball. It gives you adjustability. It delays the turn of the barrel, which gives you the ability to uh, have more adjustability in the pendulum and, and go get it out front and, and do all those things that you need to do to be an elite level hitter. Now, you can create a ton of force and not be short, but that's not good. You can be short and not create a ton of force. That's mm -hmm. also not good. Yeah. The goal, the key, the thing that the best in the world do 
They have a short time to contact and they're short to the ball, but they generate a tremendous amount of force at the same time because they strike the ball. Mm -hmm. It's not that we don't want to generate force or even focus on it. It's just that there's different ways to do it and there's good ways and bad ways. And for us, you know, when guys try to swing as hard as they can and focus on bat speed, those do not create swings that play at high levels. Those do not create the movement patterns that we see of elite hitters. That's not what you see. And that's where the fights come in between the old school and the new school guys, because you have you know, new school guys that are in a, in a cage or in a training environment telling guys to swing as hard as they can and generate bat speed. Mm-hmm. And then you see longer time to contact. You see, and yeah, their exit velocity in the cage will go up, right? But that's easy. I mean, that's easy. Anybody can yeah. do that, but that's not transferable to the field. Those are not the movements that elite hitters are creating. And uh, yesterday we were talking with her two days ago. We sat here and uh, we talked to Stuart McMillan, who's absolutely brilliant. Uh, he's the CEO at uh, Altus, which is like the number one track and field training facility in the world. And, you know, it's kind of a, it's a joke when people think like, uh, you know, fat r- sprinters are going to run faster just by trying to run faster. You know, that, that, you, you never try to, hey, guys drowning, you just ever yell at them and tell them to swim? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, 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 have to, you have to have technique. And, and one of the things that Stuart said that I completely concur with is that, um, you know, really our, our, when you're training sprinters, the, the objective is to maximize the efficiency. When you maximize the efficiency and the conservation of energy, you're able to deliver everything at a better uh, rate or, or at a better speed. And um, you know, when you think about hitting, it's it's the same thing. And pitching, it's the same thing. And that's why the feels, going back to what I mentioned earlier, of all the you know elite guys that have ever played the game, the guys that did it, you know what they felt. They felt short. They felt easy. They felt like they weren't trying to do too much and their body was maximizing its conservation of energy and striking the object or striking the target, uh, you know, uh, in the most, uh, uh, you know, ideal fashion, the most ideal way. But then when you teach that to a kid, if it's not taught the right way, it's gonna be slow and it's gonna be weak and they're gonna try not to do too much and they're gonna be loose. They're not striking the ball. So they might be short and they might be easy, but their body is not achieving uh, what it needs to achieve. And then all of a sudden when they think to try to throw harder or swing harder, yeah, the exit velocity or the, uh, you know, the throwing velocity might go up, but you know, their ability to consistently throw strikes or actually pitch or uh, hit in games might get considerably worse. And it's not to say that you can't do that and still run into a ball or still throw harder, right? Uh, but you know, we have a lot of constraints placed us on, on us in this game and we have to think about how those constraints affect the mover in the differential between the between the training environment and the playing environment. Yeah, and I think I mean really what uh, Bleak's just describing there. It's like it's like a guy that owns an arcade uh, arguing with the guy that you know is like Mayweather's like uh, boxing coach, right? The guy at the arcade knows uh, how to generate the most force, you know, into that punching machine. You know, the ball that comes down, and you you can hit it as hard as you can, and it generates a number. He knows that the best in the world that come into the arcade room, maybe they sprint from the back of the you know room, crow hop, and punch the bag as hard as they can, and that generates the most force, and it wins the you know the arcade game. And he's arguing with Mayweather's coach, telling him that he doesn't understand how to generate force and that there's other ways to generate force and 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 Mayweather's coach is, is explaining to him like listen you know there's 
there's techniques that work and that technique may work in that environment and with that task but my task in the game is completely different than in an arcade now you can use that arcade game to gen learn how to punch right like mayweather could go in there and set up and just throw jabs into it and see how much force he can generate in really small windows and you can still use those tools to, to really teach um, people how to fight right but you got to understand obviously what the bigger um, what are we training for what's the ideal result you can use a T to get better in a game right is it um, is it exactly the constraints that are with, within live environments of course not right but you can use tools uh, to use the focus on those efficiencies you can use those tools to focus on um, athleticism and creating force in short windows and that rate of force development you can use all that but again it's about uh, what we're aligning ourselves with and what the task that we're trying, you know, at hand and keeping the big things in mind. And that's like, you know, that's an absolutely brilliant, I've never actually heard you say that and use that example. That's a brilliant way to look at it. Um, and it brings to mind something we were looking at and researching maybe about six months back. Uh, we were looking into boxing pretty heavily. And, um, you know, this upcoming off season, we are going to try to get with a couple of boxing trainers with our uh, professional players and, uh, you know, try to, um, you know, I thought it would be a very interesting thing to try to look at some of those techniques. And uh, when we started doing research on it, one of the things that I saw in the research is when, when you hear those guys talk about it, it's like, you know, in boxing, you are learning a pattern of movement first. You're practicing your jab. And it goes back to that Bruce Lee, I'd rather fight the man that practices 10,000 kicks than the man that's practiced one kick 10,000 times. And when you look at boxers, you know, you're learning to jab and you're learning technique to jab and you're learning where to put your arms and where to put your feet and how to generate force from that small window, right? And then you're adding additional punches. You're learning to uh, do the jab and then stick and move, right? And then the, the, the combination, the, the patterns are increasing. It's a jab, it's a stick, it's a move, and then it's another flurry. It's a, it's a combination of those different punches, but you have to learn the individual movements first before you uh, put all of the pieces to the puzzle together. Um, you know, when it comes to baseball training, I, I would liken this to how uh, we kind of go about translating. We have a blending process that we use to translate movements from the uh, movement environment into the cage, into the game by increasing, uh, you know, degrees of variability. And uh, that's something that we presented on a couple of years ago at Palooza. Now, if you were learning how to box, and you know you're a 200 pound six foot two like physical dude but you go in and fight a professional boxer who weighs 160 pounds you know you're you're asking to get knocked out quick right <laughs> you're gonna get knocked out quick uh because you don't have the same understanding of the movements that they do now you could try to hit him as hard as you can but by the time you get there he's ducked under that and you get popped in the mouth and uh, when you think about um, not just how those guys train and how they increase those levels of variability, like if you took a novice, if you took a novice, that you, so you, right, whoever's listening that's had no boxing experience, do you think it would really be a good idea to just keep jumping in the ring with Mayweather and letting them punch you in the mouth and leave there just bloody every freaking day? Like, I do get, look, yes, it's important to uh, have difficult tasks in our training environment, so it makes the game environment easier. But if you have bad movements, if you don't know how to punch and stick and move, and you don't have a good base or foundation for those things, and you keep getting in the ring with Mayweather, he's gonna keep knocking your ass out. <laughs> he's just gonna keep knocking your ass out. 
Like the real way to train for that would be not to be in that game environment right away, but to create better movement solutions through training those movement solutions and get a good foundation. And then challenge them by eventually, yeah, now you get in the ring and you spar. But you don't go in and spar right away. Like that that's not what you do. That's not what you do at a high level. Like that's just not uh, makes no logical sense, you know? So, you know, people keep getting on this game environment thing and make it hard and make it hard. And yeah, I, I get it. And yes, we want to make it hard, but we also want to be smart. If you learn how to drive a stick shift, right? And it's your first week and you just learn how to drive it in the parking lot. You don't get out on the freaking highway in an ice storm and, and try to navigate uh, the complexity of those other environments right away. You, you have to have a base or a foundation to react from. Yeah, and that's a very limited view too. As a, um, you know, as a coach, we we also got to take in uh, again. We 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 talk about movements and we do these things, but we have very binary thoughts about, uh, you know, how we change movement patterns. And one of the biggest one is, and uh, Lance Wheeler talks about this a lot, is the that mind body connection, right? So if that mind body connection, if you're if you're, you know, especially let's say you're fighting Mayweather, or again you're going into that ice storm. Think about the scar that that leaves uh, on the like your the mental side of you know that failure over and over again, and also too. I mean, if you were to take something in like that, um, what that takes into. I mean, what first off, Bleak says this all the time. You know, the best athletes don't play baseball because they don't like failing that much, and you know, only only there's only a psychos that like to play baseball and fail that much. So if we're taking that in, you know, if you're teaching someone how to drive and you get on the ice storm and their first you know a week of driving and they get into a major car accident, I mean. Think about what that's going to do to them for you know the rest of their life when they approach you know driving and yeah sure maybe you have these select individuals that get into that car accident and you know maybe they recover from that but in reality when we look at this and we look at psychology and we look at uh, what that does to athletes uh, failure is not something that humans uh, deal with well right and that's what separates um, you know separates those those individuals but also with that being said we have to be mindful. Um, and that's something that we always, uh, when the regression part of that is very important and something that we do in our blending process. If someone is, uh, you know, practicing a pattern that is not sticking, right? Like we, when we went up in progression and if we go up in progression and all of a sudden we see a 70, 80% failure rate, why would I keep doing that? Right. That now I'm just feeding and I'm just hardwiring that CNS for a bad pattern. And then also to beating on the psych the psychology side, beating up on their brain, um, of them not being effective and being able to hold pattern. So that's some things that, you know, we really are mindful of when we're going through that blending process as well. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's a, that's a great point. Um, you know, when you think about baseball in general, like we, we already fail enough. And the reason I say that all the time, it's like, you know, a lot of your best athletes when they're kids, like the reality is they're so good at football and basketball that, you know, they jump higher. It's easier to be stronger than somebody else. They go play baseball and they strike out three times and say, screw, you know, screw this. This isn't my thing. I'm not that good at this, you know, and obviously you have your freaks, but uh, you know, baseball, there's just such a, a high degree of failure that's involved in the game. You almost have to be crazy to think that, uh, you know, you're going to, uh, you know, find success. It's like, in reality, you know, these big leaguers that average uh, 500 at-bats a year and get uh, two swings per at-bat on average and, you know, basically swing a thousand times at 2,000 pitches and 500 at-bats, you know, if they hit 30 home runs and 30 doubles, they're a pretty good hitter. And that means they only achieve that task 60 out of a thousand individual moments they swung the bat. 
And, you know, they train that there's a reason that hitters forever have hit off the tee and Tony Gwynn. Hey, you really going to argue with Tony Gwynn? I mean, seriously, like you're talking about one of the greatest hitters in the history, one of the greatest ball strikers in the history of the game that talks about the importance of how he practiced off the tee every single day. And now you have people talking about how, you know, don't, don't hit off the tee at all. Oh, no, it's not game-like. Don't hit off the tee. Don't hit off the tee. Look, here's the reality. The best hitters in the world miss less in their hammer zones than everybody else. And the example that I like to use is that every day when I drive to work, I take the same route. Take the same exact route. If you look at it on a Waze map, it's the same route, right? But if you look real close, I don't always stay in the same lanes. Sometimes I have to, you know, get to work faster, more efficiently, so I have to drive around the person, you know, I got to move over a lane uh, to get around somebody that's driving real slow. When you look at the baseball swing, it's the same thing. Yes, there's variability, but uh, there's already so much variability that what we should be trying to do is, is repeat, uh, you know, the, the clean movements that are going to get us. We want to get our A swing off no matter where the pitch is, no matter what the pitch is. And, you know, it's not to say that you're going to just every day you're going to work off the tee in the same spot in the same zone. Like, it just means that, like, th there's a lot of ways to get better. And, yes, uh, challenging the patterns are good. And, yes, game time variability is good. And, yes, the tee is good. It's all good. But it's not all good for everybody at the same time. You know, the, the ideal of, you know, if you're looking at a, you know, ideal situation... Um, you know, the coach has the ability to recognize the movement patterns of the individual and provide them an environment that's going to help them produce better results at seven o'clock come game time. And that's different for everyone. You know, there's no uh, one magical way to, to create that because inevitably uh, the individuals on your team or in your facility or whatever it is all have different things that they're, you know, that they're dealing with and they need different, you know, different things yeah and I mean a big part of that too is uh, the different implements like you're saying like now with tees we have so many different options as well um, you know we have obviously just our, our normal st standard tees with that we've been using for a while and then also we have inverted tees now and then I hate to say it because I'm not a big fan of the guy that has them but the you know the UTs that thing also again with it moving and it adds some variable and also it's some great tools everything you know everything you can also works. do multi T yeah, stuff you can do all I mean there's of a stuff. tons that you can do uh, we do a yeah. drill you know uh, AB one twos where you know you have multiple T's and and one is class classified as, uh, you know, uh, A and two, and the other one is B and one. And, you know, you have to call out the, the, the different, uh, you know, the different uh, number or letter according with the T, and that's the one they have to hit. Like, there's a whole bunch of different ways to, you know, to make guys better. For sure, yeah. And you can use all those implements. It's Again, it's not the it's not the arrow, it's the Indian in that situation. And you can use uh, you can use it any way you see fit. And again, it's only it's not limited by your imagination. And you know, it, like there's all the time. I mean, we talk about it here is you know at least four or five times a week we come up with a new drill. That's why in our application, you know, that we're doing for our website, uh, the application side is an ever-growing membership because on a constant basis, and it's never when you understand what you're trying to create, all of the ways of how you create it, though, that's a, that's an ongoing, ever-growing <laughs> thought 100%. process. So that's never going to be something that just stops. I mean, we come up with different things. We have different ways of thinking about it. We correlate it again. I mean, that's the reason why uh, we've looked into different branches, different sports. Different, you know, again, we're trying to find as many ways as possible. Because as I'll let Bleak kind of dive into this, but if you want to be the 80 grade coach, 
um, and you want to be that, you know, you have to expand your horizons and, you know, what are, you're, you're limited by your lens. And so you have to widen your lens um, if you want to get closer to that 80 grade level. Um, but yeah, I'll let you kind of dive into that 80 grade stuff. Yeah, a couple of years ago at uh, Bridge the Gap, we host a coaching convention every year in August. And, uh, you know, the goal is to kind of bridge the gap of information between, you know, player development and on-field coaching. And, you know, at the first one, we did an exercise called Building the 80-Grade Coach. You know, a 20 to 80 scouting scale is something that we can all, you know, recognize with. And as players, we were all, you know, you're all striving to be that 80-grade 80-grade guy, right? To try to develop yourself to that, you know, perfection that doesn't even exist, right? That's the entire game of life and game of baseball is chasing perfection, knowing that uh, at no point is it ever going to happen. So if we are all striving to be 80-grade coaches... Uh, the 80 grade coach has to have the ability to affect any individual in front of him in the most impactful way. And to do that, you have to be well versed in uh, anything. It's not about teaching them your way. It's about figuring out what they need to hear, think, do, feel to create their own ideal result. Uh, and the 80 grade coach has the ability to use any and all implements. They have the widest toolbox of anybody and the, the largest grasp and understanding of uh, everything available or at their disposal. Uh, and, you know, oftentimes right now, people are kind of, I think, passing the buck to the uh, to players telling them, you know, you be your own best coach, be your own best coach. And yes, we want our guys to have a full understanding of what, you know, they need to do. And we want them to take ownership of that. But it's very difficult to be your own best coach. I mean, you know, there's marriage counselors that are divorced. They, they know how to, how to help everybody else, but they don't know how to, how to help themselves. You know, there's a difference between having an understanding and be, you can't see yourself. You can't, and sometimes that makes players worse because they try to, you know, they're trying to understand it so deeply. They mind that they just completely screw up their minds and they're so focused on all these other things. If they would just, uh, you know, uh, uh, have build some trust with someone and, and allow somebody else to help them create that result. They're the athlete. Their job is to accomplish. Their job is not to uh, always have a, have a full grasp. We want them focused on their job, you know? And, you know, it's... Uh, uh, not everybody has the uh, same, every individual uh, perceives information differently, has a different level or capability of understanding information. And for some guys, they, they need less. And other guys like, you know, JD, he's reviewing all his swings, you know, but that's the thing. Like he knows exactly what he's looking for. He knows what he's trying to feel. He knows what he's trying to do. You know, he's been picking it up. He started off season a little cold and now he's hot. And, you know, the, the advantageous thing for him is that he does understand those things. So, you know, he even said in an article he was, uh, you know, he, he was spinning too much and he was opening up and, you know, now he's staying closed and trying to stay closed. And that's, you know, been the thing that's, uh, you know, helped him out so much. And, you know, ultimately, um, I think that, you know, it's an amazing thing where the, you know where the game is at and it's amazing thing it's an amazing thing where the game is going but we literally went from like uh you know i remember you know seven years ago uh you know nobody wanted to talk about things like hitting you know pitching was starting to become people were starting to become more open-minded but hitting everybody already thought they knew everything so you know open-minded conversations didn't exist now you know the vibe in the game has completely changed and people are finally interested in acquiring information and new knowledge and all these new technologies popping up at, at uh, such a you know rapid and ridiculous pace 
you know, it's it's hard to play catch up. And as a you know, as a whole, the community doesn't have a full grasp on on all of these things. And you know, too often, especially at the professional level, uh, you know, we've talked with some pro teams and do some consulting stuff. And uh, one of the biggest disconnects is that you know they're so busy collecting data and they're so busy on data collection. Like they have all these numbers, they have all this information, but they don't know what to do with any of it. You know, they don't, they have no idea what to do with any of it. None of the none of this data is. Uh, you, know, you have to understand the 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 data gets created by the movement. The movement is what creates the data, right? If you move well, you produce good data. If you don't move well, you produce bad data. You can't just look at data and try to backchain things. You have to fully grasp. The, the movement that you're watching from the individual and figure out how to create better data with better movement. Like th that's that's the, the trick to the whole thing. And whether you're using Rapsodo or KVEST or any of these things, uh, just looking at the data, trying to sequence one, two, three, four and building the rotational velocity, like that's not always ideal, man. Like it, you, more bat speed is not always better, you know? And those are some of the things that uh, we're, we're doing our best to try to get everybody to understand and, and bridge that gap. And, uh, you know, I, we talk a lot about it in the, the new book that, uh, you know, last three months I've uh, been kind of non-existent on social media and actually, you know, the facility too. I've been stuck in a room trying to uh, finish this book. And, uh, you know, it's going to be released here in the next four weeks. And uh, we got the uh, online foundational coaching courses coming out. Um, I think the release date for that was it going to be sometime in August or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, you know, so just trying to do our best to push the game forward and, uh, you know, uh, help get information out there for everybody that we think is valuable. Man, that was really fun jumping on with you, Eugene. This call takeaway is brought to you by Anchor Bats. Anchor Bat Company doesn't make bats for the love of bat making. They make bats for the love of baseball. Visit anchorbatco.com to shop their entire line of quality wood and their apparel. Also, make sure to follow them on Twitter at anchorbatco to stay up to date. Yeah, Joey, what was your biggest call takeaway from your conversation with Eugene? Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, when we take in and we have an understanding of how our body is, is really not in search for um, it's just trying to complete a task, right? It's just trying to uh, survive. And it goes back to those um, instincts of it's always going to protect itself first, right? So uh, I think it's just very interesting when we, every time we, you know, we go another depth, another hole or another rabbit hole, every time we go down somewhere different, um, it just leads us to different thoughts and different ways of teaching uh, the same things we've been talking about, but new ways of thinking about it, different angles, uh, different perspectives. And I think that that's always fun and, you know, definitely um, intriguing to see the results and how many more athletes you grab when you keep changing your perspective and coming up with new ways to teach it. Um, how about you, Bo? Yeah, man, I agree. And, and first of all, I think it was great that Eugene was able to hop on and open up a very important and technical skill in ball striking. Uh, I think by viewing the action of the swing through a little bit of a different lens and kind of unwrapping the onion a little bit there. I think it, it sparks conversation that may oppose traditional ideas and concepts. And I think that's great for the game. And, and I'm, I'm excited for the feedback uh, from our listeners. Yeah, no, absolutely. And hey, guys, uh, make sure to make your way over to our website. We got a whole bunch of resources that we've uh, integrated on there. Um, also, from a couple of uh, weeks back, we're going to uh, have the presentation from Palooza. Uh, that'll be underneath the 108 tab. So make sure to go check on that. That'll be on there shortly. Um, and then, um, we have some exciting stuff moving forward. We'll kind of announce that on the next podcast. 
some, you know, some changes and some things that uh, Bo and I will continue to bring uh, to you guys. Um, we'll talk about that next time. So you have to tune in and um, make sure like, while you're on the website as well, check out our product, uh, our products on there. We definitely have some, we want you guys to look like you're part of the team because you already are. Um, go ahead and grab yourself a shirt, grab yourself a hat um, and make sure to give us a, a shout on Twitter. Let us know that you made your purchase and uh, we'll give you guys a retweet and uh, show you some love as well. So from us and our partners over at Yakertech, until next time, Farm System out.